all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Over 40,000 organ transplants were performed over the past year in the United States. This is an increase from the previous years, but still we have a ways to go. Today we will be discussing organ transplants, what organs and tissues can be transplanted, how do I become a donor, facts versus fiction. So today I have on with me Dr. Felicitas Kohler and Belinda Lane. Dr. Kohler is an Associate Professor of Transplant Surgery here at UMMC, and Belinda Lane is our Community Outreach Coordinator for more. And so they're going to be talking a little bit more about this topic with us today. So happy Friday, everybody. And I'm excited because I told them before the the show started, I'm going to learn a lot myself um, about this topic. So I'm excited to be bringing this um, to everyone today. So if you guys don't mind, Belinda, I'll kind of start with you. Can you tell me a little bit or not me, everybody, a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes. So I am the community outreach coordinator for Mora. Uh, Also, well, it's Mississippi. Organ Recovery Agency, and I like to share that because sometimes people don't know what more stands for. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that folks understand that. And I am out in the communities trying to make sure that we get people registered to become organ, eye, and tissue donors. Awesome. And so, Felicitas, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you. Um, my name is Felicitas Kohler. I'm a transplant surgeon at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Um, I do abdominal transplants, so that's kidney, liver, pancreas. And I also have a dialysis access practice. One of the elements of my jobs as a transplant surgeon is also to do the organ recoveries. So um you know, working with Mora, part of what I do is, you know, the actual recovery of the organs that are used for transplantation. That is awesome. And so I think this is, Belinda, can you tell me a little bit about what's special about this month? So this is National Multi-Ethnic Month. And so we want to focus in on minorities simply because minorities tend to have the highest need but actually register the least. And while it's important for 
everybody, I mean everybody in the community to donate, we understand also that donation and transplantation can be successful between individuals from any race or ethnic group, but also transplants are more successful when organs are matched between people of the same background or race. And so that's very, very important to note, and which is why we need a other people, uh, so many others to register to become organ, eye, and tissue donors. Well, thank you. Well, I don't think a lot of people realize what strong history the University of Mississippi Medical Center has with organ transplantation. And so it goes way back to when transplants started. So the actual first human lung transplantation was performed about 60 years ago on June the 11th, 1963, at the University Hospital by Dr. James Hardy and his team. So that was here in Jackson at UMMC that the first human lung transplant was actually done. And interestingly enough, we did the first cardio, uh, cardiac xenotransplantation, and that is a heart between another um, species of animal. That was also by Dr. Hardy in 1964. Um, and that's actually where they transplanted a chimpanzee heart into a 68-year-old um, man. So we have a long history here at UMMC and what we've been able to be doing. And so really kind of leading transplantation in general, you know, from its infancy, if we kind of look at it that way. So um, can you guys tell us a little bit more about what organs can be transplanted? And we talk about organ transplantation, tissue transplantation. What does that mean? Sure. I'll go ahead and take that one. So um, organ transplantation is performed for people who have um, an end organ illness. So for example, if a patient is on dialysis because they have kidney failure, they would be a candidate for a kidney transplantation. Um, liver transplant is performed for the treatment of cirrhosis as well as certain kinds of liver cancer. And pancreas transplant can be done for patients who have insulin-dependent diabetes. Um, typically, a pancreas transplant is combined with a kidney transplant. So it's a kidney and a pancreas transplant together. So this would be a person who may have type 1 diabetes that is very longstanding and it has caused uh, failure of their kidneys. And so, you know, that's kind of a two for the price of one transplant. You get a kidney and a pancreas together. In addition, there's also the ability to do heart and lung transplantation for people who have organ failure of those systems. Um, recently, the university has, uh, you know, reinvigorated their heart transplant program. We have additional new faculty who are working on that. So we've just recently done um, a heart kidney transplantation has been done at the university. Uh, for a patient who had failure of both of those systems. Um, in addition, and, you know, I think Belinda probably could talk some more about this, there is tissue transplantation that can be done, and these are heart valves and um, corneas, things like that. Absolutely. So a lot of times when we say organ, eye, and tissue, we're certainly not just talking about those life-saving organs. We're also talking about the cornea, the tendons, the valves, the veins, the skin, and the bones. And what a lot of people uh, are not aware of is that with the cornea, it can impact uh, up to two lives because a person can actually donate one of their cornea to help people uh, give sight. And then the other part of that is that a lot of times people do not realize how important skin is. Uh, tissue is skin. And so a lot of times folks have the opportunity to be able to have skin grafts, even women who have uh, 
breast cancer. And when they have breast cancer and have reconstruction, sometimes tissue is used for reconstruction purposes. And a lot of people are not aware of that. So that's one of the things that we we like to focus on because it's so important that we talk about not just those life-saving organs, but also eye and tissue. And I tell people all the time, medicine fascinates me every day. Like, that's why, like, I get, you know, I tell people I feel kind of nerdy sometimes. I, like, get really excited about medicine. And really working in academic medicine is so much fun because you learn so much that we're able to do. Because when people think about transplants, we're like, okay, heart and lung. And so just to know how far we've come with science, just the things that we can do I don't know. It still just amazes me today in general. So I'm really happy that we've been able to kind of reach out to everybody and really just kind of bring awareness to this um, in general. And so how many organs can one donor provide? You you kind of talk about we talked about the organs. We talked about the tissue. How how do we go about that process? So one donor can donate up to eight organs. OK, it can save up to eight people. And then the other part of that is that uh, with tissue, tissue can impact up to 75 people, sometimes even more because tissue can be used in various parts of the body. So when we talk about the life-saving organs, we're talking about the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, the intestine, and the pancreas. Uh, And so we want to make sure that people understand uh, transplantation has come a very long way. We've actually had people to have face transplants. And as you stated earlier, one of the very first face transplants was performed here in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we've actually had one of the very first hands transplant uh from a young kid back in 2015, one of the very first pediatric hands transplants. Now, can you imagine? People think about organ, eye, and donation, uh, organ, eye, and tissue donation as simply those organs, but we've actually had so much happen and occur with transplantation. It blows my mind even to know that someone else's hands can be transplanted. So that's how far transplantation has actually come. And I'm excited because this brings a bright light to Mississippi. I feel like every time we talk about health and health outcomes in the state, we're always thinking about being the worst. We talk about diabetes. We talk about hypertension and heart disease and all those things. But just to know that we're really kind of leading a lot of these things and, and being the first for a lot of these things, I think is quite amazing. But with all that being said, why do you guys think that organ trans, like, why is it so rare for people to donate? I think there are a couple, you know, sort of, that is a complicated question. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think that you can really, you know, begin to answer that question without first kind of understanding the different pathways to donation. So, you know, when Belinda talks about tissue donation, that is usually from a patient who is deceased. So they are deceased at the time of donation. Some of the organ donation that we do, um, you know, of the solid organs like the kidney, liver, pancreas, heart, lung, those can come from patients who kind of, you know, have slotted into a different category. So there's people who donate after brain death. Okay. And so brain death is, you know, when someone has had a total cessation of neurologic function with no hope of recovery and the heart is still beating. Right. So that patient and they're on a breathing machine. So that patient is still, you know, 
although they are legally technically dead, they kind of are in this, you know, liminal state where you're not, you know, your heart hasn't stopped, but, you know, you still are, you know, but you're dead. Mm -hmm. And those are patients who, you know, are the most, you know, common or typical category of patients who end up being donators of solid organs, kidney, liver, pancreas, heart, lung. There's also a second category of uh, donation that's called donation after cardiac death. So this is a patient who may have suffered a devastating neurologic injury, no hope of recovering, but they don't meet the technical criteria for brain death. So those patients, you know, can donate their organs when, um, you know, they when life support is withdrawn and, you know, if they expire, they have cessation or stopping of cardiac activity. If that cardiac activity stops in a certain amount of time, then oftentimes the organs are still usable for transplantation. Okay. And so I think that that, you know, is is part of, you know, why, you know, organ, you know, why not everyone can be an organ donor. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everyone can try. And I think that that kind of, you know, segues into, you know, an important part of, you know, what Belinda does, right, is getting people registered for organ donation, which is basically an ask, right, which is saying Mm -hmm. like, hey, if I die, you can consider using my organs. That's kind of what registering for organ donation says is that, you know, I've thought about this. Right. And if I was to die, you know, obviously all measures would be made to keep me from dying. But if I can't, you know, if I'm going, you know, see if you can, you know, take some part of me and let, you know, some part of me live on. And, you know, I think uh, from like a personal perspective, um, you know, I had a son who died in 2020 and he ended up being, you know, he wasn't able to be an organ donor, but he was a tissue donor and the donation for me as a mother was, you know, the most profound um, experience I've ever had was, you know, knowing that some part of my son could live on. And, you know, as I talk to people about donation and I do the donation recoveries, I do always think about that for families is that, you know, it is a way to have a piece of your family member live on and, you know, their light to continue to shine in the world. And that's why I'm so grateful to have someone like Belinda out here because she does share that message of hope and healing. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm so grateful that you're here to, you know, share that message with everyone and, you know, to let people know that I think there is a lot of stigma that can exist within communities with concern that um and i think it's something we should address right away early in this conversation there is a lot of concern within communities that you know if my family member is registered for donation you know would would the hospital still try to save them and i think you know absolutely yes like the hospital even if you have the little red you know dot that when you register for your um you know, for your driver's license, if you have that red dot on your driver's license, nobody looks at that, you know, when they're trying to save your life. And I think to address that is really important. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, I'm just going to piggyback a little bit and give some data on why 
we all need to register. A part of that reason is because 90% of U.S. adults say that they support organ, eye, and tissue donation, right? If I were to say a show of hands to the folks that are listening out there in radio land, show of hands, how many of you believe strongly in organ, eye, and tissue donation? And I'm sure I could see all of those hands going up. However, the problem is, is that only 60% of folks are actually registered as donors. And one of those things is that only three and 1,000 people will pass away in a way that even allows for organ donation. And so when we start to think about that, that there are three circumstances that have to come into play before someone is even considered to be a potential organ donor. So one of the things that you can do is you can certainly go and get the Little Red Heart on your driver's license. Now, as Dr. Kohler said earlier, we don't want people to have that misconception that if you have that Little Red Heart on your driver's license, people, uh, the first responders will not save you. That is certainly one of the biggest myths that we encounter. They will do everything within their means to save you. Uh, In addition to the fact that it's against the law, if a first responder looks through your wallet or goes through your personal things, that's certainly against the law. But we want folks to understand that when you go to your driver's license station, you can register to become an organ donor that particular way. Uh, You also have the option to be able to go to registerme.org and register if you don't want that little red heart on your license. Or you can just simply tell them, I want to be a donor, but I don't want the heart on my license. And the other way that you can register is also through the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries now here in the state of Mississippi. So we're one of the top five states that has been able to do that. And so when you talk about the first in the state of Mississippi, we're proud that you can now go through to Wildlife and Fisheries and become a registered donor. So that's awesome for the state of Mississippi because we have so many folks who are involved in wildlife and fisheries. And and so we want them to know that this is also an option. And so it and and then the other part of that, and I always have this friendly competition with some of my uh, my colleagues. And I always say that. And if you don't want to register one of those ways, I can certainly get you registered on my phone. I have an app where I can register people anytime, any day. So if you you want to register, feel free to give me a call or email me or whatever you need to do, and we'll make sure that it happens. So, yes, you can register any of those particular ways. That's awesome. And so can I guess if on your app is for free? Because that becomes the other question. What does it cost <laughs> me to be a donor or to sign up to it, be a donor? It or? costs absolutely nothing. And that's the other part. If your family member is a donor, they will not incur any fees to have to pay. The only fees or costs that they will incur is those hospital fees that they already had prior to donation. It does not cost anything to become an organ donor. That's awesome. Well, is there is someone able to change their mind? You know, something they're thinking about. If you think or consider changing your mind, you can go to registerme.org or you can go to your local driver's license station. You can have the little red heart removed. Um, If you go to registerme.org, you can go on there. It's it's a huge Excel file. So you can go on there and just uh, click 
that you no longer want to be a donor, and they'll they'll remove your name. Uh, the other part of that is even there are even situations where we have people who have certain uh, organs that they'd rather donate uh, than others. For instance, we had um, a lady who said that she uh, her husband was a donor, and she didn't want his heart donated because his heart belonged to her. So, you know, you have all kinds of situations in which donation can occur. It's just left up to you what your preferences are. You can even donate to some of your your family members or friends. Uh, That is legal. If you have a friend, uh, for instance, in your church who's in need of a life-saving organ, for instance, a kidney or liver, uh, you can have your family member's organ or kidney uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry I said organ or kidney <laughs> organ <laughs> donated to your friend or family member okay in those so in those particular situations are do those people a lot of times see if they're a match first is there a process to that or I think you've brought up a great point Belinda so I think you know there are sort of, you know, you can separate this into two different categories of donation. So there's people who are deceased donors, which is sort of, you know, the more usual thing that we're talking about. So, you know, the little red heart on your license and things like that. The other amazing opportunity for people who, you know, are in good health, still alive, is to be a living donor. Yes. And living donor uh, typically happens with, you know, most common is kidney transplantation. But then in some centers around the country, there is also the potential to be a living liver donor. Um, and, you know, we're made beautifully and perfectly with two kidneys, have excess kidney function. And, you know, people can donate a kidney and oftentimes live their, you know, entire lives with just one kidney just fine. Um, this summer, I had a very amazing medical student who uh, worked with us, and she had actually been a kidney donor. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, when you think about that, she had been a kidney donor, I think, three or four years ago, and, you know, still is in perfect health, well enough to go to medical school. And, you know, just the magnitude of that gift is really tremendous. And, um, you know, to your point, uh, Jasmine, about, you know, how how does living donation work? So if people are interested in being a living donation or being a living donor, you don't have to be related. You don't have to be the same blood type as the person, right? So say, for example, there was a person who wanted to be what we call an altruistic donor, right? So that is a person who feels called to donate a kidney for whatever reason. And their good health, they meet all the you know, medical criteria, the psychiatric criteria, um, you know, and are deemed to be a good candidate, they can donate altruistically to someone they don't even know, right? And we would find, you know, someone on our list of patients who could, um, you know, benefit from that gift of a kidney. Um, those kidneys are also wonderful things to put into things like swaps, right? So you see sometimes, you know, in the paper about people, you know, where there's a chain of transplantation that happens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is what gets started by people who, you know, want to donate to the list. They don't have a specific person they're donating to. But, you know, their donation kind of allows a number of different donors, you know, donor matches to work because, you know, if you're incompatible with someone who is, you know, asked to, you know, receive your kidney, that Mm -hmm. would be an opportunity for that person. And, you know, we're doing that at the university. We also participate, you know, in the swaps. And if someone listening feels called to donate a kidney, um, if you go to 
UMMC uh, donorscreen.org, you can complete a living donor screening form. And, you know, if that's something you want to do, wonderful, right? Um, so, and that is another, you know, way to look at uh, donation, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to be, you know, dead to donate. You can yeah. also donate as a living person. Wow. That is amazing. And my wonderful partner, Dr. Praise Matamave, is actually working on a documentary, you know, talking about kidney donation, you know, in Mississippi and, you know, trying to increase living donation. So, um, That's awesome. yeah, just different ways to get the message out around these things. Oh, great. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And I have on with me today Dr. Kohler, who's an Associate Professor of Transplant Surgery at UMC, and Ms. Belinda Lane, who is our Community Outreach Coordinator for MORA. And so we have learned a lot this morning about organ transplantation. So we're going to move to our first caller, Wyatt, in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Good morning, Wyatt. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Tell us about your question this morning. Uh, I had uh, two questions about sort of how organ donation may be impacted within uh, Mississippi specifically. The first is because we're such um, a rural state and have, you know, spread out community hospitals, um, does that uh, impact in terms of like notifications and more or transport times that uh, may challenge organ donation? And then the second question is, um, given the uh, history within uh, medicine of racial inequity and racial injustice, we saw the news, the information about um, with the family of like Henrietta Lacks, is how that history, unfortunately, may impact the um, stigma that may exist in the African-American community with donation, which is particularly um, uh, challenging given the disproportionate need of African Americans for organ donation, particularly kidney donation. I'll hang up and let y'all answer. Thank you, Wyatt. So I'll make an attempt to answer a portion of Wyatt's question. Uh, for one thing, Wyatt, uh, African Americans make up about 70, 75% of those in need. And of course, the waiting list is larger than this because some Mississippi residents are, are, are on the uh, list in other states. And so we don't always have the most accurate numbers for that, but we have people assigned to every hospital in the state and they all provide education to all the staff and so we make sure that Mora staff is all over the state of Mississippi and I hope that that helps you in terms of knowing that we're not just here in the central area we are literally all over the state of Mississippi. And then I'll piggyback on Belinda's answer. So prior to working here in Mississippi, um, I was a transplant surgeon in Chicago uh, for three years and did my transplant surgery fellowship there. One of the best, most amazing, revolutionary parts about coming to work in Mississippi is that part of our donation process is actually centralized here in, in Mississippi. So to your question, Wyatt, about you know, travel time and things like that with organs. So, um, you know, one of the things that Mora does that is really a very progressive and excellent practice is having the deceased donor surgeries 
um, happen at a centralized recovery facility um, in Flowood, Mississippi. And so rather than the surgeons and the rest of the team having to go out to, you know, every single corner of Mississippi, the patients actually come to the Organ Recovery Center um, for, you know, the surgical process of donation. And the centralization of that and the transportation of the patients, um, you know, for their donation really from uh, in terms of the improvement of the quality of organs that get donated and the simplification of the logistics of the process, like you cannot say enough about it and, you know, the quality of, you know, the work that is done. And I feel like, you know, Mora has been doing this for about the last five years and, you know, you know, to Jasmine's point, you know, you always think about, oh, Mississippi's last, it's the worst. This is one area where, you know, it is really at the forefront and leading about how to simplify logistics. And, you know, Mora is doing such an incredible job with, you know, really pushing this so that, you know, it is of the most benefit to all the patients, not that the patients, not just the patients who are donating, but also the patients who are receiving these organs, right? Because you are getting surgical teams who, instead of having to operate, you know, three, four in the morning, you know, can operate seven thirty, eight thirty normal times, you know, of day and, you know, get the organ, you know, the organs that we procure can then, you know, be transplanted in a way that is just works better for everyone, not to mention, you know, it relieves the burden of some of these small rural hospitals from having to host this giant surgical team, you know, that comes in in the middle of the night to get organs. And, you know, it helps relieve a little bit of that burden and some of the overflow that we see in all of our hospitals. So, you know, I think, you know, from a logistics perspective, you know, it's it's really been a huge advancement and, you know, just made, you know, being a transplant surgeon, you know, while it's certainly not, you know, a forefront concern, but it's made being a transplant surgeon in Mississippi, you know, really a pleasure. Like it makes it awesome. from a work perspective so much better. And as we talk about National Minority Donor Awareness Month, I want to also say that Mora has been working diligently to make sure that we're in communities where we haven't necessarily been. Um, so we want to make sure that we're educating people and making folks aware of exactly what organ donation is about. Whether you receive the information or not, we want to make sure that we're out there. And some of the things that we're doing to help foster that is to make sure that we're into schools, we're at civic uh, organizations, we're at parties, we're all over the place at any community event, health events, uh, making sure that we're out there. And I also want to share that we provide presentations. Uh, we provide them in the schools. They're at no cost to any of the schools, whether they're public or private schools. We're out there pounding the pavement, trying to make sure that we're at some of these civic organizations, sharing the information to those who wouldn't normally receive this information. We're also, and I always say, I'll even, I'll even share at your family reunion. I love it. Because if you're, if we you, will come to your cookout. Yes, I will come yes. to your family reunion. 
reunion and share this information because I think it's so informative for us to be able to tell people all of the truths as opposed to the myths about donation. I love it. Well, we're going to take our next call. We've got Ron and Tupelo. Good morning, Ron. How are you? I am doing good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. So tell us a little bit about your question. Well, I do have a question. Before my question, I do want to make a comment. I'm an old guy. I'm uh, past 70, and I do have a baby daughter. She's uh, she's 31, but um, any parent's worst nightmare would be to lose a child. And um, the fact that something so wonderful and so good came out of that loss blew me away. Yes, sir. Okay, my my question. um, What about an old guy like me, 70? You know, I've had that donor thing on my license for years. Um, Should old people still keep the donor thing on their license? Do they want um, ancient relics? And anyway, I'm all inspired. I'll let y'all go. Thank you so much, Ron. <laughs> Hi, Ron. Thank you for that. Thank you for calling and for asking. So, um, yes, absolutely. Keep that red heart there, right? So I think, you know, and I tell this to, you know, families who I'm counseling about living donation, don't worry about being picky or choosy, right? That is the role of, you know, Mora is to say, you know, thank you for putting your heart there, but there isn't, you know, a single thing that we could take from you, right? Let them worry about that, right? What you're doing when you put that little red heart in there is just to say, I'd like to be considered, right? And that's all that that, and that's all that that says. And, you know, I, I, Keep it on, you know, I tell my parents to keep it on theirs um, because that's really it. I just want to be considered. And absolutely, I don't think 70 is old, by the way, but absolutely, you know, there have been usable organs, especially liver, that have come from, you know, patients who are in your age range. Um, so don't don't rule yourself out. Right. Let them do that. And, you know. I just encourage you and I thank you for for keeping that red heart on there for so long and for, you know, maintaining that statement of saying, you know, I just want to be considered. And I think that that's, you know, that's what we're asking for people is that you would just say, you know, just consider me. That's all. Felicitas, I love the way you put that. Like, it's just saying, keep me in mind. Like, let us right. let everybody else worry about the logistics and of you're all that. Never, and you're never, ever too old to make a difference. So, yes. you know, that when you put that little red heart on your license, you are ultimately making a difference. Yes. And we're going to hop right in because Vivian has been so patient with me. Vivian and Gloucester. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I wanted to know if there's a difference between a male and a female organs. From a transplant perspective, sometimes the kidneys are a little bit smaller in a woman, but still completely suitable for transplantation, liver, 
sometimes smaller is better. Um, so no, no, no difference with heart. They do, you know, some matching in terms of, you know, donor and recipient size. Same with lung. But, um, you know, there isn't any difference in quality, longevity that you see between male and female donated organs. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for you your question. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Vivian. Um, Belinda had a couple more things that she wanted to share with everyone a little bit about organ transplant. So I wanted to share that at one point there could not be HIV transplants to uh, uh, or recipients, should I say. But now we're able to have HIV to another HIV positive person uh, have a transplant. And I think that speaks volumes because so many times we have people who say, well, why? I've had questions about, well, why is it that my friend who's HIV positive cannot receive a transplant? And now that is not the case any longer. So we're very happy that if you are HIV positive, you can certainly be uh a donor to another person who is HIV positive. And one of the uh, other things that I wanted to make sure that I share is that in community outreach, we also have um, scholarships. We want to make sure that for those folks who are listening who have children, if you have a high schooler, uh, we want you to make sure that you consider those scholarships. We want to also make sure that you are considering the fact that, again, we provide presentations. Uh, those are in schools. They are absolutely free of charge. We attend health fairs. We're trying to make every effort possible to share this information and to make sure that people understand and that they they are aware of the information that goes on with transplantation. We want to make sure that people are not ignorant and that they have all of the facts so that they're not walking around saying, no, I don't want to be a donor because of this or that. Also, uh, if you have a child that is receiving um, their driver's permit, then they can also register to be an organ donor. You do not have to be 18, although so many people think that you have to be 18 years of age, you can actually register at the age of 15. So we just want to make sure that folks are aware of those things and that they understand the facts versus the fiction. And thank you for clarifying that for us. We talked a little bit about facts versus myths and things of that nature. And we brought up a little bit about how, you know, people are worried that you won't do all life-saving measures if you're an organ donor. Any other myths that you guys come across about organ donation? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, where do I begin? No. <laughs> so I hear so many myths in the community. Uh, of course, one of the biggest myths that we hear is that if you have a little red heart in your license, those people are not going to try to save you. That is certainly, again, the farthest thing from the truth. Uh, so many other myths is that um, people are going to, if you have that little red heart on your license, someone is going to try and take you in a dark corner, and they're going to try and take your organs, all sorts of, of wild things. But most of these folks are people who are receiving their their. Um, their doctor's degrees from Grey's Anatomy and places like that. So 
they believe in what's aired on television and they think all of it's real and it's not. It is certainly against the law to be able to take someone's organ and try and transfer it to another person. So we want to make sure that folks understand those things are simply not true. We want you to be aware and we want you to know the truth versus the myths. So true, because when you say that, all unfortunately, all I can think about is John Q. I'm a huge Denzel Washington fan, and then you think about that movie, John Q. And, you, you know, you, people get really, you know, kind of very skeptical about the process. So I'm happy we've been able kind of to take the time today and trying to dispel, you know, a few of those those myths that people have. The other thing that I think sometimes is oftentimes hard for families um, is, you know, working in this field can't be easy. Um, what mental health support do you provide the families going through this process? So we do have uh, family care folks, and we also have some um, some things set aside so that people can receive mental health support. And that all all of those things are free. Uh, so if folks need them, they can certainly reach out. And again, I want to make sure that I share that our our website is msora.org in case you need to go to our website and look for any of that information because it is a very uh, tough situation when you're thinking about your loved one. Uh, a, a, a piece of them is actually walking around in somebody else's body. So you you have to sometimes struggle with that. But there are professionals in place so that for folks who are dealing with those kind of issues, you have an outlet for it. Well, thank you for that. And kind of going piggybacking off of that just a little bit about support. Um, and I just lost my train of thought just that quickly as far as <laughs> I think the other, um, you know, as uh, the 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 patient aspect of it too. I don't think that you can overlook enough. So the people who are recipients of, you know, this amazing transformational gift from another person, there is very frequently within the patients who we transplant, there is oftentimes, you know, a phenomenon of how do I make myself worthy of this tremendous gift? And, you know, that is part of you know, on our end, on the transplant center side, you know, part of our responsibility is setting up exactly like you're saying, Jasmine, the, you know, support from the side of, you know, our social workers, our physicians to be open to hear those concerns, right? Because many people who have had the transformational gift of an organ transplant do struggle with how do I make myself worthy of this gift? And, you know, I think that, you know, having those systems in place is an important part of what we do in terms of, you know, the reason why we do organ transplantation is to give people a fuller recovery, right? To restore them to, you know, what we think of as a full life. And, you know, you raise an important point about, you know, full life is not just functional organ, right? Mm -hmm. It is a restoration of function, right? Being able to return to the activities that you want to do, being able to return to work, having a role in your community again, um, you know, and that is part of our mission with transplantation is, you know, we just don't, you know, we're not just trying to give you a functional organ, you know, we're trying to restore you to life. Yes. 
And I think you bring up a great point, Felicity, that this is a team effort. You know, there is nothing that, uh, you know, more works right along with, with our transplant surgeons and, as Belinda said, ac- you know, across the state. So nobody's able to do this alone. And, and we're not able to do what we do without you guys that are listening and just having that opportunity to spread the word. And so I really appreciate you guys coming out today and sharing with everyone. Like I said at the beginning of this, I've learned a lot myself just about the process and just the resources that are out there um, for people. And like Belinda said, she means it. She'll come out to you and, <laughs> and educate your church or, you know, your family members, uh, in, be in any of the schools um, and those types of things. And so just so we can bring awareness and answer any questions that people have um, about organ transplantation. So I really really appreciate both of you guys coming on the show today and and sharing your experiences and 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 teaching us all about organ transplantation and all the wonderful things that Mora is doing and how Mississippi is leading in so many areas as I talk about um as we talk about organ transplantation so Absolutely. again thank you guys this is Southern Remedy Women's Health it's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abraham. I am Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.